Great. This morning, um, we're going to be watching a video um, where Russell Moore from the Southern Baptist Convention talks about the trend in America to move away from a Christian life being a predominant culture. And so, um, and really he's kind of suggesting that that's probably a good thing, that when the Christian life is the predominant culture, it becomes kind of watered down. And so as we're seeing culture at large change, uh, a, a Christian life where you're walking out Christian values should be countercultural and what that might um, do for the Christian uh, community at large. Um, but we also want to take a time, you, ha- you have the liberty basically this morning, to take time to kind of reflect back on some of our, our other discussions from the summer and how they would relate to that topic of how a Christian life should be countercultural and that we, in relation to the different topics we've done, there's been several on um, local action and global impact, uh, race in our culture and, and the race relations that are going on. Um, white privilege, the uh, the common good of the community around us and how Christians can affect that, and then Christianity in our secular age, um, and then also gratitude is how we started off the summer. So when when we get to the discussion part of the class, please don't feel limited to just what we're discussing today. I think it's a good time to stop and honor like all of the dialogue that we've had this summer that's been very rich, and we are so grateful that you guys have been here every week, and, um, and we're grateful that to Eric for, for um, presenting this great um, class format for us. So, Which the Holy Spirit says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When I was in college, I had an atheist friend with whom I would dialogue uh, around the clock on the questions of Christianity and meaning of life and the existence of God, and we would debate sometimes late into the night. One day he came to see me and he said, I need you to help me with something. I need you to help me find a good Southern Baptist church to join, but one that's not too, you know, Southern Baptist-y. My immediate reaction was to say, so you've become a Christian. Uh, well, when did this happen? Well, well we, just, we just talked last night. Well, what happened? I was expecting him to say, uh, in the middle of the night, I just cried out, what must I do to be saved? And I remembered a conversation that we had. It didn't happen. He said, I've decided I want to go into politics. <laughs> and I'm never going to be elected to anything as an atheist. And I'm certainly not going to be elected as an atheist or an agnostic in the state of Mississippi. And as I'm looking through the demographic data, there are more Southern Baptists than anything else here. So can you help me find a Southern Baptist church that won't totally freak me out? Now, my friend was unusual in his honesty, but he was not unusual in his strategy. There has been for many years in this country 
and understanding that Christianity is a normal and expected way of life in order to be a normal American citizen, a normal person, a good neighbor, a good person in society. That is changing in this country and changing rapidly, and I think that is good news for the Church of Jesus Christ. The way we've seen ourselves for many years has been rooted in an understanding of ourselves as a silent majority that, that really initially didn't have much to do with religion at all. It had to do with the counterculture of the 1960s that was expressed probably best lyrically by the age of Aquarius that triumphalistic utopian sense that all of the old structures were being torn down and now we have the dawning of something that was new and that expressed that sense of counterculture triumphalism there was a counter reaction to that that was expressed probably best lyrically by merle haggard's okie from muskogee we don't smoke marijuana in muskogee we don't burn our draft cards. We don't get high on LSD. The message that was coming back from the silent majority, seen, for instance, in the electoral battle between Richard Nixon and George McGovern in 1972, is that those who were seeking to change the structures in America were a small elite out of touch with the real America. Most people in this country shared a common sense of values. And we, in fact, represent most people. We're the majority. That later came to be translated in religious terms so that evangelical Christians started speaking of themselves often, sometimes even first and foremost, in terms of values. We share values with the rest of the people in this country and we in fact are a majority now as american culture secularizes there are some things that are changing and some things that are not one of the narratives that is very popular is that christianity itself is being eviscerated in this country as gabe mentioned some moments ago that is clearly not true Christianity is vital and the church is marching onward and upward uh, in this country. What is changing though is that nominal cultural Christianity, the understanding that in order for me to be the sort of person that I want to view myself as being, in order to be the protagonist in an American, in an American narrative, I must be baptized, that is changing. So what we're seeing is a rapture of nominal, cultural, gospel-free Christianity in this country, not a rapture of Christianity itself. What is being taken away is a kind of God and country badge Christianity that sees Jesus as the embodiment of certain values that are being shared rather than as a crucified and resurrected world ruler. As a matter of fact, it's very difficult to argue that Christianity, the way it is communicated in the New Testament, the message of the scandal of the cross, was ever a majority in this country. It was always a word that called the status quo to judgment. 
but what is gone is the sort of Christianity that can be seen in the Bible Belt in that roadside strip club that puts Happy Birthday Jesus on the sign outside at Christmas time. The sort of Christianity that coexists with everyday rebellion against Christian moral norms and Christian theological norms with no seeming conflict between those two things. Now, as we move into this new order, one of the most dangerous things that we could do, I think, as the church is to try to normalize Christianity and to try to normalize the gospel. Well, there are a couple of ways that we can do that. One of those things is to simply adjust ourselves to whatever is happening in the ambient culture around us. Uh, right now, many of those arguments have to do with the Christian sexual ethic. And there are many people who would say to us, if only we would abandon a Christian sexual ethic that we have received from Jesus and the apostles and 2,000 years of Christian tradition, then we would be able to reach the people who are hostile to Christianity. Well, the problem with that is, first of all, we're not making this stuff up as though they were our constitution and bylaws that we have the authority to revise at will. Secondly, that doesn't even work. This was tried before. In the 1920s, there were those who said Christianity will only be successful if Christianity throws overboard those things that are seen to be scandalous by contemporary culture. Virgin births and empty tombs and miracles that contemporary people cannot receive and cannot accept. What that project failed to realize is that those things have always been a scandal and a stumbling block to everyone all the way back. When Mary tells Joseph she's pregnant, his response is not, well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> his response is to seek to put her away quietly because he understands how human biology works. Christianity is speaking a strange and scandalous word into whatever culture that it comes into. But it's not only those who would want to turn us into a liberal Episcopalian's idea of what an evangelical ought to be in order to normalize Christianity. It's also those who might be very different theologically and politically from that spectrum, but who want nonetheless to keep Christianity as a kind of discount store prosperity gospel in which we're able to say Jesus is the means by which you achieve all of the things that you want to achieve as a normal American and heaven too at the end of it. I don't watch horror movies very often, but I understand why people do. They, they like the adrenal sort of uh, jolt that comes with watching horror movies. I get the same effect watching prosperity gospel preachers on TV. <laughs> And several years ago, I saw one of these prosperity gospel preachers literally on a golden throne talking about the gospel. And she said, you know, even if the gospel weren't true, I would still want to be a Christian because this is the best way to live. That's easy to say from a golden throne on television. That is not easy to say in first century Ephesus 
when identifying yourself with a crucified and resurrected Messiah means that you are going to lose your standing in the marketplace. That is not easy to say in an unregistered house church in China right now. That is not easy to say in Sudan. And in fact, that is never what Christianity has proposed itself to be. Christianity instead, from the very beginning, comes with a scandal and Christianity comes with a cross. That's one of the reasons why when Jesus is preaching and there is immediate response to what he is saying, he almost always turns around and clarifies to say, I don't think you get it. When you're saying here in this hometown synagogue in Nazareth that what I'm saying is delightful to you, I'm going to clarify that further by showing you what this has to do with your response to the Gentiles, to the nations around you. When, when you're gathered around and you love the message of the kingdom of God, I'm going to clarify by saying to people who have been taught ever since they were children not to touch dead bodies and not to consume blood unless you eat my skin and drink my blood you have no life in you so much so that even his own disciples turned around and said you're starting to freak us out and in the book of acts whenever the gospel is being preached the response is not this sounds like a good way to carry traditional roman values into the future the response is, this sounds insane to us. This sounds crazy to us. Of course it does. If we see ourselves as a minority in any culture, that doesn't mean necessarily that we see ourselves as fewer in number. It doesn't mean necessarily that we see ourselves as victims. As a matter of fact, it means we should not see ourselves as victims. It means that we understand that we are living in a time that is not yet the kingdom of God. And so we speak prophetically and we speak as ambassadors and we speak a word that is going to be seen as strange. We hold to an understanding of the gospel we hold to an understanding of Christian orthodoxy. We hold to an understanding of human dignity. We hold to an understanding of the image of God. We work for justice. We work for mercy. We work for compassion. We work for human flourishing. And as we do all of those things, we communicate and articulate the gospel itself. Which means that sometimes, as a culture starts to move away from a Christian memory. That means we have to articulate better as we seek to persuade the people around us of those things that are in the interest of the common good, what we mean by those things, where there is that point of connection there. But we don't do that by taking away from Christianity the very thing that the Apostle Paul says is the power of God unto salvation. We speak with conviction and we speak with kindness because we recognize that what transforms people ultimately isn't a set of ideas. What transforms people ultimately is the hearing of a Galilean voice. So we say what Jesus has given us to say. We don't say anything less, but we say it the way Jesus 
says it. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We shouldn't be the sort of people who panic and wring our hands when we see a culture that is changing around us. We ought to be the sort of people who are reminded that the advance of the church is not dependent upon the culture. The advance of the church is not dependent upon the government. The advance of the church is not dependent upon polling data. The advance of the church is dependent upon a promise made at Caesarea Philippi. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when we speak and the outside culture says to us, for instance, on the issue of sexuality, what you're saying sounds strange and, and freakish to us, that marriage is defined in this way and that, and that there are sexual norms that, that shouldn't be violated. Our response is not to back down from that, but our response is to go further to say, yes, we know that's strange, and we believe in even stranger things than that. We believe that a previously dead man is going to show up in the sky on a horse. We cannot be a gospel-free outrage machine, and we cannot be a gospel-free affirmation machine. We must be those who stand and point, make straight the path of the ways of the Lord, and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We don't withdraw, we don't retreat, and we don't vent our rage. We stand with confidence, we stand with good news, we stand with broken hearts, and we say, onward Christian strangers. Let's keep Christianity weird. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, um, he says that Christianity always comes with a scandal and a cross. And I like the way he ended with the little keep Christianity weird. Um, and, and I think he's right. I mean, um, we, are, we Christians um, are often led by the culture, sometimes in places <coughs> where we need to go, where we should have been going ahead as Christians, and sometimes we're led down paths we don't need to go. Um, and Christianity is at its best when it refuses to be led by the culture, um, but, but speaks with a prophetic voice um, to the culture. So um, we've talked about some ways this summer that in these contexts we can do that. Uh, he raised some other contexts, but um, I would love to just hear from you all about your reaction to the video or maybe uh, your thoughts on how we as Christians uh, with the cross at the center of our Christianity uh, and the gospel Jesus at the center of our Christianity can lead in some of these contexts. Who wants to get us started? Justin. Justin. I. <laughs> the Russell Moore was one of the signatories on the uh, the Nashville statement this week. Um, I really, I work. I, I get where he's going, and I and I 
part of me likes what he has to say, but I think we have to be very careful not to act with so much certainty. Um, he comes across to me as, it reminds me of 1950s Church of Christ, of like we have all the answers. And I think while the church does need to live prophetically, um, I think that prophetic life is more about living in humility and, and showing how we do things versus telling people how we do things. Um, and it, it just seemed like this, especially because there are Christians who are going to disagree about things. He, he made it seem like there's a uniform position of Christian sexuality, and there's not. The Bible isn't even uniform on it. So while I like where he's going and I like his strain of the reform movement, even though I generally am not real big on reform theology, um, I do think we need to be careful not to fall back into that we have all the answers mode. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, mean, I think a big uh, part of walking in the way of Christ is to walk with humility and to look backwards and realize that we as Christians have gotten it wrong a lot. We've gotten it right sometimes, but we've gotten it wrong a lot too. And so I think we part of our showing Christ to the world is with a little bit of this is Christ as we best understand him. And you know, here's what he said. Yeah. So I think that's a fair point. Throughout our history as a religious movement, I'm talking about the Church of Christ, quote unquote, there has always been a tension between unity and authority. So many times, as the other brother mentioned, unity has been forgotten. We've only been concerned with authority. Other situations, such as the departure of the disciples, they're concerned with unity, and they're not concerned with authority, apparently. Uh, we've got to be concerned with both of them, and, and we've got to those of us who are concerned with authority must have the ability to allow those who disagree with us to a point to speak their minds and talk their minds and be Christian like Jesus in our treatment of each other. And by authority, do you mean uh... New, New Testament authority? Doing things, doing things, doing things like the New Testament does, and then demanding that they be done that way. Now, some things need to be done that way; the truth. But other things are examples that are not demanded of us, in my opinion. They're silly; it's silly to demand them. But we—that's that's a judgment we have to make. And those of us who are more concerned with authority, those of us who are more concerned with keeping the things the way they we thought they we think they are in the New Testament, need to be Christian in our attitude toward those of us who are more liberal, who, who allow more leniency, and who do not interpret. I don't mean when you agree on something. When you agree on something, it's truth. You've got, you, you have a right to demand your brother do it if he agrees with you. But, but there's so many things we have done in the past that, that we have demanded that our brethren do that they didn't agree with us on, and we didn't keep our minds open to their side, and they didn't keep our minds open. We just started a new church. As the city of Nashville had, had 
rightfully fourth place. Sure. So it goes back to maybe the humility that Justin was talking about. Well, and that's, you know, that type of community where we're striving for unity is is prophetic. It's, it's a prophetic thing to reach out and to love right. and accept and to work through issues instead of that's the kind of That's the kind of people God wanted us to have evidently of course we're looking back and we don't know exactly what the prophets meant by it but probably are looking back that's what the prophets meant they god wanted a community where all people could come together being forgiven of their sins by the sacrifice of jesus that's a great comment anybody else on prophetic minority and what that would look like in our specific i think it's 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 comforting to me what he's saying. It's comforting to me to realize that I'm becoming weak. And as I was saying last week, part of that weirdness is if I speak to people with tact or kindness or, or I, I don't cut them off in traffic and I say something really nice to the checkout person, what an opportunity because that's becoming weird. You know, and then it gets into if, you know, I took my sacred oath of marriage seriously 34 years ago. And that's the best way, um, you know, and, I, and I'm in family practice and we're all adults here. And when I've got somebody that's coming in with an, an STD and I'm able to tell them after I take care of them that, you know, a monogamous, committed relationship and devotion to the same person will, will avoid this. Plus, it's better. It's a better life. That's weird. <coughs> and it's it really, I think, God is dumbing it down for us. I really, I really believe God is just dumbing it down for us. Okay, be nice today. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Great comment. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a, I want to build on that because it's really cool to think instead of having to worry about oh you know the world is going you know south really quickly and there's no more prayer in schools and we have we're losing we're not the majority anymore he kind of turns it on his head and it's like you know we're not the stormtroopers we're Han Solo we're cool we're the rebels <laughs> we, we get to beat a different thing and, and it is like you grow up in your bubble and you're like around like the Christian friends and everything and then you go out and you go to your first job and you realize maybe you're the different one you're the kind of the weird one for being just who you are, people like people will say the nicest thing, like you're so you're so positive, you're so upbeat. Where does that come from? Opportunity, like like he said, you know, like it's this chance to be set apart instead of this chance. So instead of worrying about what we're losing, let's focus on what we're gaining. Yeah, that was that was a really nice message. Well, and too, as we lose um, this, like that Christ, the Christian kind of. I can't remember how he phrased it, but um, the Christian norm, I guess, it, it demands us to have action, not just in the world around us, but in our immediate homes. Like, if, if, if our kids aren't going to be exposed to a lot of Christian principles at school, you know, I think a lot of people became comfortable in children being taught values at school. We are, we absolutely have to teach them values in our home because we can't depend on other other professionals or whatever to teach teach that so it really gives us more of an opportunity to um to walk it out specifically in our personal lives as well you know we're not to shift the responsibility to the culture at large 
for 10 years we were missionaries we were vacation missionaries in Romania they teach Christianity in public schools in Romania they're not Christians in my opinion they teach them Bible knowledge but they don't teach them the values you've got to have it at home you've got to have it at home Matt I really appreciate the conversation of tension and authority and unity. And um, I think our first two, the first two people met really brought that up well. And um, I will strike the sweet by a verse and I want to read it. It's 1 Peter 3, 15. We've heard it before. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We've heard that before, but sometimes we forget the rest of the verse. Same verse. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who can who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I think authority and unity is summed up really well in that one verse. We should all know what we believe and why. I think that's an essential Christian character and scholarship. And essentially, Christian loves to be able to do so with love and respect. And if we want to keep Christianity weird and be unlike the culture that we live in, the ability to speak to one, one another in a civil and loving way and to disagree but still be Christian and to disagree and still be brothers and sisters and to disagree and still be Americans, you know, that's going to keep Christianity weird. Because look around, every time you turn on an electronic device or put your eyes on the screen or listen to people talk, it's hate hate cells and division cells and I would challenge all of us to not to shy away from parsing the scripture and pursuing scripture and truth but to also not shy, shy away from speaking to each other with gentleness and respect that will make us very weird well I think you know Otter Creek is founded on that a lot of people are here because it's a place where people can disagree and so at, in this church family um is probably it's known as a weird Church of Christ, and um, I think most people are most people in the kind of the conservative Church of Christ world think of it as weird because of worship practices or whatever. But it's weird in that way too, in that there's a lot of a lot of different thoughts and beliefs, and us, I think we exist pretty peaceably underneath underneath the, the same roof. So yeah, I think that's probably weird in any denomination that the the amount of diversity of thought. Um, not that we should break yeah. our arms by patting ourselves yeah. on the back, but um, but it is a great thing, and it's a thing we need to protect. Um, let me ask this. So um, I, I didn't look this quote up before I came in here, but Mark Twain, who was decidedly not a Christian, said something like, if you find yourself in the majority, it's time to rethink your position. Um, is that a, and, and that seems a bit like what Russell Moore was saying, that uh, the majority has maybe moved away from uh, a an endorsement of Christians uh, and is that a legitimate gut check for us in uh, you know where we live right now in America that, that if we find ourselves in the majority maybe we should question uh, our positions and and question them through the lens of Christianity if you know is is this thing I believe if I'm if I'm getting carried away with this strain of majority thought maybe it's not the Christian thought what do you think 
Is, is that a legitimate gut check? Always keep your mind open, even to yourself. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> Doesn't it depend on if it's a random sampling or if, uh, like if Josh has a similar position as everyone else who works here at Otter Creek? That's probably good, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you took all the people in Williamson County and Davidson County, maybe that's a different... Yeah, that's right. I guess it depends on how you define the, the majority of what. Uh, of the whole. And I would say that question would also be dependent upon um, groupthink. Because groupthink can be a good thing. And you can be in a good, if you're in a majority here, you're in a good situation. It's more about are you thinking for yourself, using that Christian lens and evaluating where you're at at any given time as opposed to what the group is saying. It's more always, always looking inside what's going on because the group could be right in some situations. Yeah, which is why you want to surround yourself with a good group there of people. Go. Right? But I think to some degree, and I agree with group think, but I also see where uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a great example of where sometimes you have to be weird outside of your group um, because by letter of the law, the priest and the rabbi did the right thing. Or they were doing what they felt was within their parameters of doing the right thing. And I think that when we are being countercultural, sometimes that means we are countercultural to what the majority of ourselves is saying. That we may have to make a hard choice and, and go away from what our friends and our fellow Christians are saying and go, for this moment right now, I'm making what I believe is the right choice, even when it feels within the confines of prayer and, and believing that God is directing you to that. Because as we as the sermon was this morning, I mean, I, I think so often the, um, the the way we look at people matters, and the way that we are willing to forgive others matters, and. I think it's interesting and, and the, the forefront of gratuity. I think we we have to be grateful in every situation that God has given us different thought and that God has given us at times the same thought. Like that's both of those we should be grateful for. And are we willing at times to to take a stand for the betterment of someone to to see that that person is, as Robert talked about, the image of God. And if, if our actions are not allowing someone to be the image of God on our, in our hearts, then we need to look at ourselves and go, why is that? Uh, it just goes back to a lot to pray Attended a funeral Friday of an elder of the church, a longtime elder of the church where I was raised. His granddaughter and her wife and child were there. Our congregation met the challenge, but sometimes there are going to be challenges with modern culture. Um, somebody made an observation that, the, that with our increased connectivity uh, through social media and, and uh, 24-hour news, that we, we the, the change that's happened over the past 20 years hasn't been that, oh good, now we're going to be exposed to alternative points of view. It's now we have the ability to be exposed to our point of view. Um, that, that we have the ability to seek out all the information that we already agree with. Uh, 
uh, and that, that doesn't inform me, but it confirms me that, that I, I already think this, and look, I can find all these other other places that reinforce that that position. And I, I think, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but we're, we're all guilty of that. If you look at my, who I follow on Twitter, I'm obviously informed by Weird Al Yankovic and The Onion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that says, but it doesn't speak out sane uh, confirmation of anything that I'm looking for. But the, 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 the problem with that is that, is that by default, we, we can feel like that we are in the majority. I, I am mainstream. I, I'm mainstream. And, and I'll be open to your other point of view, but listen, you're, you're in the minority here, Scott. You, you definitely are, I'm sure, on whatever, whatever we're arguing about right now. Yeah. Besides the reason, really quiet. Somehow, Paul said there's great joy in that. 
And so my job is to find great joy in that. And in the process of seeking the joy in that, that in it, that process itself is also a countercultural disposition. And uh, laying down the right to to fight back against uh, those costs and just taking those costs. Yeah, I think we're we're out of time. Uh, so, but that's right. I'll I'll say um, I think contentment in persecution and joy in hardship is itself uh, countercultural. Um, We've talked a lot, a lot of our discussion today has been uh, sort of theoretical and esoteric. It, it, I guess I'll challenge us all to maybe think about some things that uh, maybe we're doing in our own lives or positions we we're holding on to in our hearts that are um, that are not Christian and, and I guess maybe do that sort of self-evaluation about, boy, if, if I were to take the Christian position on this, what would it cost me? And, and that's okay, and I'll, I'll Bear that cost joyfully. Let's end in a quick prayer. Yeah. Lord God, we we thank you for bringing this group together. We thank you for these topics to make us uh, think, and hopefully will help make us think about ways that we um, need to grow and be more like you. God, we pray for you to use us to bring justice and mercy and compassion to our immediate worlds and to the to the world larger that's around us. God. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that models all of that for us and, um, and gives us your, uh, your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.